Hi, I'm Todd Nadenson. And I'm Lena Morgan. This is Song vs. Song. It is 2023. It is our first podcast of the new year. I am ready. Are you ready, Lena? So I could tell you just one thing. It's that I'm not okay. Okay. Well, actually, I'm not ready at all. That's why for <laughs> our first podcast after the holidays, I picked a, a what I thought was a real softball. We are going to be doing Cheryl Crow's If It Makes You Happy versus Jules, Who Will Save Your Soul. And we got a special guest. Say hi, our special guest. Hello, it's Vita. I'm back to torture you some more with my horrible opinions. Um, this time, though, I think everyone is in alignment, but maybe not for the same reason. Certainly two of us spent a lot of time at 4 a.m. before this <laughs> podcast discussing the, these two songs and artists. Well, I feel left out. You should. Well, for the record, when I say this is a softball, I didn't mean like one is obviously better than the other. I mean oh. that we are of a certain age so that so- talking about two songs from 1996 is going to be right in our wheelhouse. That is correct. I had full body flashbacks to <laughs> laying on my my living room floor with my head between the speakers of my stereo blasting the Cheryl Crow. These these songs are actually a little bit before my time, or at least my time paying attention to the pop charts. They were by the time I did start listening to pop music, I, I watched a lot of VH1 and VH1 certainly loved both these ladies. Oh, yes. They both had songs like in the late 90s, early 2000s. They were still all both still very big. So I got a pretty steady dose of the big hits of Cheryl and Jewel. Yeah, but you came in in the intuition era. <laughs> no, no, I came in around the standing still era. OK, I mean, similar, but yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, standing still and soak up the sun. I love that one. Which, which uh, you can see their their sounds changing quite a bit in five years. <laughs> by that point, although neither had reached intuition yet, I guess Cheryl never enough. went full intuition. She no. was always the rootsy one. She, she circled back to her <laughs> to her more raw roots, I think. So since apparently the two of you were speaking about this very deeply, well, I was left out in the cold. What's your answer? Which of the I think I think we might all end up on the same side for this one. Uh, Lena, let's start with you. Um, well, this is kind of simple, right? Like usually I'll do a reversal, but the very simple answer is I was a really big Sheryl Crow fan. I was never able to get into Jewel. So if it makes you happy is definitely my answer firmly. I'm going to guess you were like, since you were both talking about it, you're, you're, you're on the same side of this Vita. Yes. But also like, I didn't realize I wasn't a Jewel fan until I revisited (laughs) the album and the song. (laughs) Because I remember, I had that album, I had them both, and I remember distinctly... As did most people. Yes. It was a time, all right? It was a time. Just pre-Lilith Fair. Um, But I re-listened to the album, the Jewel album, first, and I was like, oh, there were two songs that you could play on this album, the whole thing, and that's one of them, (laughs) like, so yeah. So, So at least one good song on there is the one we're talking about. I would say that is maybe the cream of the crop. Um, and and I will say that even still, definitely Cheryl Crow's If It Makes You Happy is my answer. <laughs> I, I think we kind of got into this a little bit too, although we never spoke it aloud, which is that 
arguably the the song that people like from that album the most it the song the version that's on the album is very different from the song that was on the radio yes foolish games radio edit no 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 not foolish games it's you were meant for me yeah. You were meant for me is yeah, totally a, different. Totally different. There are a couple of songs on the album that are very different. The one that sticks out to me is Foolish Games because it's completely just a different genre. But oh, to me, it's it's you were meant for me because of the way that she sings. She sings the song like she's crying the whole time. Yes, like the whole song she sounds on the on the record. She sounds like like the whole time doesn't sound like that on the radio cut. A lot better. And and what I found out was spoiler alert. We're skipping ahead. The reason that there's a different version for the radio is because even she hated the version that was on the album. God, God bless. Jewel, you were correct. There was some self-awareness there. Um, but anyway, long story short, yes, Cheryl Crow all the way on this one. Yeah. Jewel has had the strangest career. I, She's I had a rough career. I mean, like, she has had some some hard luck. There has been some crazy stuff in there, but, like, one thing I was kind of shocked to learn is that Pieces of You, the album that Who Will Save Your Soul comes from, is 12 times platinum. What? Like, it is putting up, like, thriller numbers, which, not thriller numbers, obviously, but, like, it's one of, like, the top 100 best-selling albums of all time. All time. I think Cheryl doesn't even come close. That makes me feel also, insane. Jules' book of poetry is, like, the best-selling book of poetry. Is that true? I don't know if that's still true, but for a while it was. Am I? Did I like slide into a separate universe? An alternate it's not, dimension? Yeah, it's not. No, Bernstein you you, you slid into this one. Or something else. Like, this is the one. Know. No, this is the one. It's this one. The one we were always in. And it's it's aged weird because this is a very folky coffee shop album. It doesn't very sound very pop at all. And people don't really talk about it the same way they talk about Jagged Little Pill. Yeah. Which is still like an all-time beloved classic among the kids. I've been thinking about this for a while, right? Because the thing is, my opinion on Jewel has not changed. And I'm trying to figure out what it is. Because as a preface, if you look, um, Jewel takes a lot of stick. It's not a like... When it comes to critics, she is not well regarded. She she takes a lot and she's also endured a lot of like actual straight up bullshit in her life. And I don't want to minimize any of it. And if I'm going to be critical of her, I don't want to do it in a way that is ungracious or unkind. So um, what I wound up going back to and thinking about was this one question, which is why is it that I did not buy pieces of you and I never got into Jewel? Because that's weird. And anyone who has known me for a while knows how weird that is. Because if we're going back in time to the 90s, a time when Napster and no other like illegal downloading was available, let alone Spotify, you know, you had to buy music. You know, if you were lower middle class as I was, you know, I saved up my lunch money, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would not eat lunch so that like when I got to the weekend, I would have some money saved up so I could go to the Sam Goody at the Garden State Plaza and buy a CD, right? Like, and I would do, it would take a little while. I had albums from Sheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette, Fiona Apple, Sarah McLaughlin, like you name it. I bought all these records and listened to them on a loop, like was obsessed with all these artists, loved them, loved them. Could not vibe with Jewel at all. And this is like, why? 
It's so weird because you would think. You, you, I like every other fucking part of the Lilith fair. But you know what? Like, I don't know if it was because of how old she was when she was writing these songs on this album in particular. I know that she wrote uh, Who Will Save Your Soul when she was, what, 16, right? Something like that. Um, and you right. can tell. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. But you know what my counter to that is because we talked about it. That is absolutely true. And uh, listen, I'm very grateful that music that I was writing when I was 16 will never see the light of day because <laughs> I have forgotten it and it is recorded nowhere. That's for the best for me and for planet Earth. But Kate Bush, there are songs off of uh, The Kick Inside where she was like 15, 16 years old when she wrote them. But that and Fiona Apple was like 16 when she was writing songs off a of title. So what's the what's the what's the reality? Because those albums are great. Right. But first of all, Fiona Apple had been at it for a while. All right. <laughs> like, let's be clear about that. Kate Bush is special. Like, I hate to tell you, but like most artists are not geniuses. They you know, everyone works really hard at their craft. I'm not saying that people don't, but some people are just normal humans and they steadily improve. And you can see that trajectory from the beginning. And some people are just on a wavelength where they're, they they come in and they take shit by storm and you cannot compare Jules to Kate Bush. <laughs> you just can't do that. Um, and I think too, like what I was trying to say was like, I think it's a little unfair to compare at that time, Cheryl Crow and at that time, Jewel, because Cheryl Crow was like literally twice her age, right? Like she was like 32 when Cheryl Crow came out or something crazy like that. I, I can't remember if that's true, but she was, she was, at least five years older than Jewel, right? Like she had been through the mines. Um, well, I was I was listening to her first album, and I was like, the, you know, the James Sessions album. And I was like, oh, still unfair because I still think it's a better album, but this feels closer to something that like maybe you could put Jewel up against that first Jewel album up against. Um, I still think ultimately Cheryl Crow would win, but. Jewel, uh, she was just a normal human being who had a dream and uh, and she got exposure early. <laughs> well, I think so. There's a there's a really important distinction here. And this is, again, like God, saying facts sometimes leans into the untrue things that people say. Mm -hmm. But like a fact is that Jewel was, you know, coming up. She was, you know, like her story is pretty well mm -hmm. documented Although for clarity, the thing that people always kind of skip over, they'll go like, oh, she she lived in her car for her art. That's not what happened. She no, that lived one in her came car out pretty for recently. her art. No, she lived like, in her she car. Lived, no, but like if art. you look back at the old interview, she said too, it was like her she she was a waitress and her manager wanted to fuck her and wouldn't pay her unless she did. So she quit and lived in her car until somebody stole her car and then she was straight up homeless. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't about her art, it was about her situation. Like, uh, yeah, about being assaulted and, or, or, you know, being harassed. Like, that's very different. So, like, she, I have always seen Jewel as very isolated in that way, right? Like, she does not have, like, if you look at Cheryl Crow by comparison, like, Cheryl Crow may have left, like, she was supposed to get married, she was a teacher, but, like, she had a good relationship with her parents, right? Like, she left because she realized she didn't want to be a teacher and she didn't want to marry a born-again Christian. She liked doing music, so she went to L.A. and she linked up with a group, right? Mm -hmm. Like a brain trust of fucking artists. Mm -hmm. So she had that support around her when that first album comes out. That's sure. such yeah, a that's totally, a totally different experience to like A, 
have the family thing, which Jewel clearly didn't because her mom had left because her father was like, I believe an alcoholic and was also abusive. So like she was stuck on the homestead when it wasn't doing well, which weirdly like fast forward, they wound up doing like very well to great. But like, she never saw any of the benefits of that. She just dealt with like the bad family situation. So like, she's like on the run. Like she's like escaping something. Mm -hmm. Cheryl Crow like is a creative and I think does a lot on ultimately the further into her career you get, including this second album, which is the one we're going to talk about. She is like far more in charge of her own destiny. Like she's older. She has more experience and she also has all this other stuff. Like that's true. I think that that is what makes it kind of unfair. (laughs) You're just like, yeah. I just don't want it to trick. Cause like, apparently there was a, there was a phase in time when people would say that Cheryl Crow did nothing when like, she like, like as though she was just the face and it's like, mm, no, 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 you, no, no, You've come to the wrong place. If that's the opinion <laughs> you expect to find. <laughs> Cheryl, like uh, one of my favorite factoids about her is that she was a, a backup singer for Michael Jackson on the bad tour. So she yes. was like a, in the industry, she was like a real lifer. She would probably well, be there forever. Well, that's even the other if she thing. didn't become an artist. There's so there's two things that are really interesting about that time. One, which was to her detriment, which is that there were like tabloid articles that would come out linking her and Michael Jackson like they were somehow sexually involved, which obviously they were not. Yeah. Um, I can't like now, I guess maybe it's really obvious, but like even back then, I, it's sort of a weird thing. And Cheryl Crow in a documentary basically said that she's pretty sure that that was planted by his publicists in order to, you know, Distract yeah, I hadn't heard that, stuff. but like when when you said that, I was like, yeah, I I bet Michael's people planted that. Yeah, like I don't like I don't think that would have happened independent of I I you know we can't know for sure certain I don't think, but like I don't buy that would have happened organically. That seems like something that was created to get like people off of Michael's back in other regards. But that's like a really complicated shitty thing to deal with. But the other end is that when she was on that tour. She met Scooter Weintraub, who was like in the industry, but was not a manager yet. So like they kind of linked up like as he wanted to get into management and as she wanted to break out, they became like best buds. And so he completely worked for her, was totally dedicated for her and did have, I think, some connections and was willing to use them all to forward the momentum of her career. And that is a huge thing that she had going for her that once again, Jewel did not because the manager that Jewel had for a very long chunk of her career was her mother who came back around and then embezzled a bunch of money. And around the time of intuition, I believe was when Jewel found out that she was like millions of dollars in debt Yes, and had to kick her mother off the job of being manager and then never spoke to her mother again. Like I cannot fucking imagine like, this sounds like pity. It's not meant to be. That's a fucked up situation to deal with. And I cannot imagine that that does not impact the way you are creating art. I just don't think it's, Absolutely. I don't think that there's any way that it doesn't. I think the other thing I want to make very clear is that like, I mean, Todd, you pointed out that a lot of people bought pieces of you. And I have to assume that since she still goes out and tours, that she has a great many fans. And I'm not here to tell anybody, oh, does, does her music make you feel something? Like, is it helpful to you? Does it make you feel good? Or does it make you feel what you need to feel? Oh, you fool, you idiot. I want to, I never want to say that. Like, like I, I have spent a lot of time prepping for this podcast 
looking at both artists, but specifically trying to understand why it is that her work does not work for me. Not about anybody else, just me. Well, I mean, I can tell you that You Were Meant For Me was the only one uh, I ever really connected with. But like, it was nice to come in here and listen to this song with like fresh ears. And I was like, well, this this woman sold like diamond selling album like that didn't come out of nowhere, even though you wouldn't listen to that and think this is like a mammoth seller. And there is something really striking about who will save your soul. Like just the way it starts out with the bass and like the, I guess bongos or something is just like soft percussion. You, you look at that video and it immediately grabs your attention. You look at Jewel is like, I see how she became a superstar. Like there is, a, a, she draws your attention. Her, she's got the voice. She got the looks. She's got the sound. And it's strange because it feels like when she blew up 96, 97 was like the last time this could have gotten big. Well, and the thing is it hadn't happened before that because like she had first put that album together in like 94. Yeah. Which makes sense because it sounds like a 1994 album. It sounds like something that was created in the wake of like Tuesday night music club in the wake of Sheryl Crow's first album. And like the, what we now call the Lilith fair crowd starting to get really big. It definitely is in conversation with that kind of stuff. I was actually, uh, I was telling Lena that who knows what time in the morning, um, it also feels like it's in conversation with Tracy Chapman, right? Like I felt like, oh, this feels oh, yeah. closer, like together. Like this feels like there's the, that's the missing link. Yeah. Speaking of people that you forgot sold kajillions of records. Oh, I never <laughs> forgot that fact. Yeah, no that CD is How in everyone's car. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, my dad did not listen to that kind of music, but we definitely had Tracy Chapman's self-titled 1988 album. That I. I cannot think of a person who had a car uh, between the, you know, <laughs> between that year and like 99 and didn't have that CD in the car. You know, listening to two pieces, uh, pieces of you again, um, there was so much about it that was really obnoxious, but I do still like this song. And I like, I remember even as, you know, when I got it when I was a kid, I don't know how old it was, 11, maybe, right? It was 96. I just, I listened to, I used to, same thing. I used to save up all my money so that I could go to the Wiz and buy myself. Nobody beats it. Nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, buy myself the CDs. Um, Cheryl Crow was actually, the Cheryl Crow album was the second non-soundtrack that I ever bought myself. Um, Jagged Little Pill first and then Cheryl Crow. And then- Cheryl Crow self-titled, the second album? Yeah. But I, I no bought one. Jewel around there too. And I listened- through the jewel one and I used to wear out CDs because I didn't have a lot of money. So you get your money's worth. And I remember specifically, I was like, there are three songs on this album that I've listened to. I'm not going to wear out this CD. <laughs> and that was one of them. That was, they chose well with the singles, I think is what I'm trying to say. Off of this. I, one thing I'm also kind of surprised to find out is that uh, the first uh, Cheryl Crow album, Tuesday Night Music Club blows like sales wise blows uh, the second one out of the water which is like a really surprising to me because like, even as someone who was not listening to pop music at that time, I remember those three Sheryl Crow singles being like omnipresent. Every day is a winding road and uh change would do you good. And this one that we're talking about, if it makes you happy is like, for me, I, I would have assumed not looking at the sales numbers that 96 was her peak year of uh, success. Yeah. I think it's interesting, right? Like, again, you have to look at, what was happening around that first album for her. Cause there is gosh, 
controversy or really help an album sometimes, huh? And she had such a she had such a huge controversy around go, like the album got big or like was just starting to hit enough that she went on Letterman. She had an interview with Dave and he asked if leaving Las Vegas was autobiographical and it in fact was not. It was the, like the title came from a book that was written by a guy who one of the guys in the group knew was friends with. There was an agreement about like how things were going to shake out, like what credit he was going to get, what money he was going to get. And that man got so mad that he killed himself. Oh man. That's- and then all of a sudden the, the narrative became Cheryl Crow's words, like killed this guy. And it's like, for, so first of all, to dispel any doubts that anybody in this room would think that's the case. Ain't no way. You can't, there's no fucking slip up on Dave Letterman that's going to like automatically yield. Like that's a long, hard road of mental illness and stuff you're dealing with that brings you to that place. But I mean, like it's weird to say it's a, it's a different time, but like this is what it's like when now like you say one thing out of whack online and like you'll get dragged for a while about it except there was like the whole world at large didn't know that that was a thing that could happen to them it only happened to famous people so like you're completely comfortable and safe going like yeah that bitch she fucking killed that guy basically so like there's all this stuff right like there's this that's happening around the album and then also it like won a ton of awards and so between that and between those two things that album, like very suddenly, like triple, quadrupled, whatever it was, it sales overnight just because it was in the press constantly. I, you know, and like she fell out with the rest of the Tuesday Night Music Club after that. And that's the kind of thing like your band, your collaborators, you fall out with them. That can destroy your career. I mean, that's what happened to Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill never made another album again. So oh, there's the a lot going on there. <laughs> There is a lot going on there. It was there. part I, of it. It yes. was part of it. Yes, yes. I think it's interesting to kind of look at what happened with Sheryl Crow, the album, right? Like if we want to start getting into like these records. Yeah, so like the last member of what had been the former group left like at the very beginning of the recording. At, like he just, like I think they'd written like maybe two or three songs they were like working on. And then he... Something happened. He'd had the fuck enough and bailed. He was like, nah, fuck you and fuck this. Goodbye. Got on a plane and went home. And uh, Cheryl Crow has like a freak out about it. Doesn't know what to do and ends up calling. Um, oh, what's his name? There was a guy who was like about to go on tour with the with the wallflowers. Is this Jeff um, Trot? Jeff Trot. Yeah, there he is. I found him. Um so she ended up giving him a call. She didn't know him that well, but like, I guess they must've had some kind of pro connect. And she said like, what if instead of you going out and performing other people's music, you came in and wrote music with me for my next album. And he came in with a couple of songs ready to go or like had some part written. And one song that he'd already had, I think a first verse and the chorus to was if it makes you happy. And then they banged out the rest of that. And I think all of the singles are written or co-written by the two of them, all the ones that were really big um, and a lot of the songs in general. So that's sort of like the thing that saved her career was partly that. And then also I think kind of interesting is that 
Sheryl Crow had one other thing that to the best of my knowledge, also Jewel never had, which was a sound engineer that she really liked and always worked with and had, had like a close friendship with. And that's, uh, yeah, that consistency. That's, and that's Trina Schumacher. Are. Like, so, so Trina and like Cheryl, I guess were like two peas in a pod, right? Like they had a very similar mentality. They were just similar kinds of people. They maybe would get like painted with the bitch brush, but really they were just very hard focused. And if somebody got in the way of what they were trying to do, they would be like, get the fuck out of here and had no patience, right? Like people accepted them to be like- They were professionals if you will. Right. And they were like, I have no time for this. Like if you're going to come and fuck around, you're going to find out. I got to get work done. Um, And so I think that this is again like her, yeah, her career could have totally collapsed. The reason it didn't is because she had- people around her. She had the sound engineer she was friends with. She had the manager who she was very close with and they managed to pull on this third guy that came in and and helped her write. She's making good choices with this advantage that she has too, right? Like I can see in in the hands of someone else, somebody completely fucking biffing that, right? Like having all of these things line up and then being like, no, I'm going to strike out on my own and just do it because I'm special. Yeah. I don't know that she ever really saw that in herself, I think, so this is like my, my big thesis is that Cheryl Crow sort of comes at being an artist in the way that a craftsperson approaches things, Mm -hmm. right? It's not that she's doing creative things, but to an extent she's thinking, how am I going to make this house foundational, right? Like is it built in such a way that it's going to do what it needs to do? I, I found myself comparing Cheryl Crow a lot with an artist who it turns out she was influenced by on, on this particular song. You know, it was, she was a fan of in general, which is Tom Petty. That makes a lot of Tom sense. Tom Petty, great, great artist, but he, ha- he had a, a real ethos that don't bore us, get to the chorus. He understood from a craft perspective what it was he wanted to do and how it was that that worked best. And so he, you know, it's not that he never exited the formula, but he knew what that formula was and he knew when to bend the rules and when not to. This is the difference between Sheryl Crow and somebody like Jewel. Jewel is more like, um, we talked about this before it got started, V, but like, to me, she's more like Bjork, a complete rule breaker. Like capital A artist is not really interested in what anybody thinks, is going to strike out and take whatever big weird swing she wants to. And if you get it, that's great. And if you're not, I don't give a shit, right? Too bad. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And you hear that in the the reason why I really compared Jewel with Bjork is that they both like to employ multiple frenetic, almost dissociative vocal stylings in the same song, right? Like, Bjork will do that, will do that thing where, like, she's like, you know, and, like, and then all of a sudden she'll be very, like, lilting and whispering in the same song. And Jewel... She scats, um, Jewel scats. She she scats, <laughs> and she scats, and and yodels, and then she does that that baby voice shit, which is the thing that I hate. I'm not most. into that. Yeah, <laughs> I can see why it worked though. I will like being fair in the, you know what I'm saying, like it, being being little being little fair. Being, yeah, being little fair. <laughs> but that's the, that's the thing, right? Is that like so? That's that's my comparison point. I love Bjork, by the way. I just you know anyway. But yes, that's that's who I that's how I see the difference between Jewel and uh, I, Cheryl Crow. I, I I definitely see the Tom Petty uh, comparison, especially sonically, because she's got a lot of songs that like sound like the Heartbreakers made them. But if if it makes you happy, is like 
a bit of an odd song. It's like weird and wordy and it goes into like strange detours about Marilyn's shampoo and Geronimo's rifle and Benny Goodman's corset and pen. Like I always wanted to know what she meant by that. I didn't realize that that was uh, one of the other guy's lines, but like there's a, like she could like make like really solid pop songs like home and strong enough and stuff like that. And sometimes she would just like let the pen come out. And this is one of them. I feel like this song on this album is pointing back to the 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 first album, right? Like that is a weird fucking album. It's very talky. It's very that feels like her version of a coffee shop album. Her version because she is much more hard rock to me. But like you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So like there are some songs on this album that are much more pop focused, but this one to me was the felt like the bridge between what she had been doing before and where the direction that she was heading in. When she goes into globe sessions, which I think is like of the three. Oh, like we'll get to it. We will talk about yes. that, I'm sure. But yes. um, as a spoiler alert for the rest of this episode, um, I think Vita and I decided very early on that this was going to be a Trojan horse <laughs> for trying to get people to listen to the globe Have sessions and treat word? it with the amount of respect that it deserves. Yes, it's it's a phenomenon. But before we get there, um, I was I was talking to my wife about it, um, and I was like, if you had to take one song. I think of that like Lilith Fair era group and just be like, you can only choose one to, you know, represent that. I would actually maybe choose this song, right? Like I would maybe choose if it makes you happy because it immediately makes you think that video is so iconic and the video is absolutely visually what the song is doing sonically. Sometimes videos just, just are not doing the same thing, right? But that you're just like, that is an era, that coat, that that location, the way that she's moving, all of that is exactly that what those rock women were trying to do at the time, I think. Can we just be very clear about the music video for if it makes you happy and just say Cheryl Crow fucking ate. In oh that my video. god. Oh my god. The, so good. the looks she fucking serves in that are so good and it's weird because you can see the ring light in the eyes and you're like wow this is like before everybody owned a ring light (laughs) um but they sure did use it for that music video but like the pin straight hair the red lip the coat the two different the coat so the thing is she's got two different looks Mm -hmm. but i i also own like a big ass leopard coat and you know why it's because of this motherfucking video like 100 percent. that's why i own the coat but i think that but the brown boots and and that gold like that gold skirt and the and the it's so like 90s 70s but every look is so good it's iconic but i think uh, that like you if you had never seen that video and you had to like um like just generate what that video looked like just by listening to the song i think you'd get pretty fucking close (laughs) like just by listening to the song like yeah of course, it's in a museum. Yes, that makes sense. Of course, of course, those two outfits. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Cheryl Crow's night at the museum, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Same with the jewels too, ab- though. Yeah, you could absolutely say the same about the jewel video. Like, that yes. video looks exactly like that song sounds. And, like, where the, the Cheryl Crow video is all full of, like, bright, hyper-saturated colors like we did in the 90s, the jewel one is very muted. It is. And it takes place song. in a public bathroom, not a mu- museum for everyone to look at. <laughs> it's it's like because it's a much more stripped down song. You can hear in the song. She does this thing in the video, which I was like, yeah, that of course you do. Where she she's 
you know, playing the guitar and her little her little leggies point inward, like the little toe curl inward. And I was like, you can hear that in the song. Like that absolutely yeah. makes sense. Like that very like with the shoulder up. I'm like, oh yeah, Lena to go back to it. I I I want to be as fair as possible. I just think that it it's kind of rough when you're comparing like people with very different life experiences at different points in their career like that. You're just like well, so I, okay, but I was also okay from a, a lyric perspective. I was thinking about this a lot too. So, Todd, you brought up the fact that some of the lyrics are weird and and um, if it makes you happy, right? Mm-hmm. These references to really weird things. the The thing about that song and why it works is because it's exactly weird enough that you can put yourself on it. So yeah, it's kind of wordy, but wordy and weird is good wordy and directly exactly what you're trying to say less good this is so my my difference when i brought up bjork i brought i brought her up with a purpose was as weird as bjork can be the thing is some of her best music the lyrics are very direct but also there's not a lot of them so for me the example is always unravel really simple like i can tell you the whole the lyrics right now like in a breath, right? While you are away, my heart comes undone, slowly unravels in a ball of yarn. The devil collects it with a grin. Our love, our love in a ball of yarn. He'll never return it. So when you come back, we'll have to make new love. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's very simple. It's very basic. All the complexity, all the nuance is in the composition of the music and the production. It's all there. All the weirdness of it, all of the stuff that adds extra textures that gives you something that you don't get out of the lyric is all there, right? When she does the, um, he'll never return it. So when you come back, we'll have to make you love. She basically like, they crowd each other, right? They almost like those lyrics are happening at the same time. And one is going down and one is going up. And so the way that the, the lyrics combine to sort of create that one verse, it's a little cacophonous, but also, these two things complement each other perfectly. They harmonize just right. And because one's going in one direction and the other's going in the other, like it creates a feeling. It creates something that she doesn't have to say more words to tell you what she's trying to communicate. It's all there. And the way that that song is composed, if you look at a jewel song, when she's being direct, she's using like a billion words to say something (laughs) like really simple. And it's like, you don't, it's economy of words, a thing I also jewel if you're listening. I'm terrible at, but that's really it. Jewel does I think not you've been going off for like four minutes now. <laughs> that's correct. But that's the thing. Jewel does not have good economy of words. I, I will say this. There's a very striking opening line to who will save your soul. Like that, it kind of like punches directly. It's like people on TV, they say they're better than you and you agree. Like, oh, that, uh, that one hurt, Jewel. Like, that one, like, hit right hit right away, which n- the rest of the song, I wouldn't say, necessarily does that. Like, it kind of loses itself afterwards, but it starts really strong. Like, I picked these two songs because they're both concerned about your well-being, Jewel and Cheryl. <laughs> like, the, Don't you worry about me. I'm fine. <laughs> no, I'm fine. But, like, like- there, it's a lot more empathetic, I feel like, with Cheryl. Versus- it is. There's, there's some Jewel stuff that gets a little accusatory. I think that it's just, I think she's 16 when she wrote this and it shows like when you are a teenager and your brain is not even close to being done in jail, like you just have a certain like way that you interact with the world. And I think it comes through. And I think like 
that's why when I was younger, like I, I would play the song on repeat. And now I'm just like, I've, I've outgrown this song, uh, but I will forever play the shower song on repeat. I will never grow out of that song. I mean, I, I think it's, uh... I, I don't know what the the general opinion here, but of of Cheryl Crow's like greatest hits, I think if it makes you happy is like head and shoulders above the rest of her our songs, and I love the rest of her songs. Head but and shoulders me, is not a thing I would go. I would say I, I, it might be my favorite song of hers, but like my oh, favorite man. mistake is also up there. I was going to say, say that's that's, that's yes. real good. Like it's amazing. It's and it's one of those two. But I, I think there's there's four for the Cheryl Crow album re-listening to the album i'm like oh fuck all of these are really good they're all bangers like even the ones yeah, that, that never saw your turn that that's cheryl that self-titled album is great it is be, like better than tuesday night music club better than globe sessions i realize you're wrong. I'm now you're you're incorrect <laughs> well you know what i'll split the difference i think that the cheryl crow album might actually be a better album but i enjoy the globe sessions album like so there's something about that album that is just here's the thing so all right i i would go so far as to say that i i think the globe sessions is so great that to me it is her um wildflowers i think it's so good that i would put it on par with arguably the best tom petty album of all time and and the thing is like you could sort of make the distinction right like if i was going to try and continue that metaphor I would say that Cheryl Crow self-titled is it's like damn the torpedoes and Globe Sessions is like wildflowers in the sense that one has I think like these singles that are so powerful and so good that you know that they're going to get tons of airplay because you could listen to them a million times and never get tired of them even if you're not a fan right like even if you're not a huge Cheryl Crow fan you're always going to like those songs whereas the Globe Sessions if you are a huge fan those songs are only going to flower and improve and become even better with age and I will even go so far as to say that the only reason that the Globe Sessions is not bigger is because um, it was recorded in a brand new studio in the meatpacking district, by the way, there's, which I think also has a real impact on why it is that we like it so much, is that like there's something ineffably New York about it. And I also have some particular associations with the meatpacking district during that time, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. So I think that's a really interesting place that she chose. But because it was new, um, you don't get a chance for all that equipment to be lived in, for the space to be lived in. It does feel shinier in a way. It feels like when you first unwrap a toy, you know what I'm saying? As opposed to like a really nice or a new pair of shoes as opposed to a nice morning pair of shoes. Yeah. And the saddest thing about it is that um, all those original recordings are gone. They were, they were burned up in a fire. So nobody can ever go back and remaster that album or I bet you there's like a ton of unused material, demo tracks, tracks that, they just didn't think we're good enough for the record. Like there's somewhere out there, right? Like if you could like time travel, go back and save that stuff. There is a, a finding wildflowers, double album version of the globe sessions that goes back and course correct. Some of the stuff that sort of, they couldn't have fixed at the time because the studio was so new. Um, and it's such a shame because I do, I mean, I'll go forever and ever. Sorry. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> it took the globe sessions really good. Despite all that stuff, go back. It's, it's, it's her best work. It's, it is very good. But the self-titled album, there's something about it that is still so raw. It's, of, again, very of its time, but in, in the best way. There's something, I mean, this is because I'm an old person now, I guess. But, like, there's something about what? that. What? About that time period that 
those people were doing, like the, that whole little fair movement where you're just like, I don't think you could ever have that again. Like you just can't. Well, you need a, you need a Sarah McLaughlin because Sarah McLaughlin yes. is what yeah, yeah, yeah. made that happen. Right. Like that's her. That's complete. Like, I don't want to I like, obviously all those other people said yes. You know, I think the only, the person that could really make that happen now is Brandy Carlisle, right? Like Brandy Carlisle could do that. I don't think uh, you can have, I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, Sarah McLaughlin made it happen, but I think that like you still needed the team, you needed all the other people to populate it to make it feel like it was that, that kind of like, you know, when you say a little spirit, yes, you think of Sarah McLaughlin, but you're thinking of the lineup, right? Like you're thinking like, oh, that person was there. You know, it's. It's funny. It kind of seems like Taylor Swift is trying to make her own kind of Lilith Fair thing with her the the opening act she picked for her next tour. Yeah, like, I saw that. Like they they the opening acts of Taylor Swift's new tour, not necessarily Taylor herself, though not not necessarily also seem like they are the new genre of what the female well, singer sure. songwriters are. Isn't yeah, Phoebe, Phoebe? Isn't Phoebe Bridgers? Bridgers? Yeah, oh, and you know, and you know what song Phoebe Bridgers loves to play live? Mm. If it makes you happy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> she loves that song and plays it, I think, pretty often. It's weird that, like, as, like, we have stretched past the peak Lilith Fair, like, how much... Because I remember, like, Sheryl Crow got a tiny bit of stick also. Like, you know, this is music for moms, for secretaries, stuff like that. And that is not, like... I mean, she... But she also had a lot of the Grammys, the the acclaim, and that has kind of stuck to Sheryl Crow in a way that it really hasn't for Jewel. Like, I think we just kind of like wrote it off as like kind of like this goofy pop thing that was like big in 1997. And then we kind of moved on from and she never really was never close to that big again. Like, what's her biggest hit after that? Like hands and standing still, which I I love standing still. But like these are these are not like enduring pop classics. Well, both hands and standing still have a thing that go for them, um, which is that Jewel, at least when she's recording, which I think is, is a smart move doesn't quite try to jump the vocal track, try and do so many different stylings so often. She does it a little more straight. And I think it suits, like if you're doing a recording, right? Like the thing that you're going to listen to on the radio or in the album that you buy, it shouldn't like, don't play with things so much. If you're doing everything else, like dial that, like dial one thing back, right? It's like, if you put on 20 pieces of clothing, like the last accessory that you put on, you take back back off, you know, that, that famous adage, I think it's the same kind of thing. And I think that if you listen to Jules follow-up album, there is that element that she just, just brings down enough that it, it really does improve the overall quality of the record. She does tend to over sing and she certainly sings quite intensely on that pieces of you album. You did not I, watch these videos that Lena sent me, but let me tell you right now, if you think it's intense on the album, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my I, so, gosh. The, the, all right. So here's the thing, right? Like I kept going like, well, you know, obviously things are going to right? you change. You evolve over time, right? <laughs> Surely jewel singing who will save your soul in 2022. <laughs> it would be different from like how she did it when she played it live at Woodstock in 99, right? Obviously she would not do that the same because in 99, she, there's like a, it's like 10 minutes it is a 10 at Woodstock minute, like where she comes out and she, there's this thing that she does at a very specific point where the guitarist comes out and will go and, and like, she'll make, she'll do like a lead line with her mouth where she goes like, whoop, 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 whoop. and then like the guitarist goes, whoop, 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 
with the guitar. And then she just goes back and forth. Like her singing voice is a lead guitar and like, they're just going back. And it's absolutely the, it's, t- I mean, like, again, like if you like it, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you, you can't, but to me, it, it made me, oh. I was like, I, I, this is painful. This is, I can't listen to this. It's making me want to run away. <laughs> right. Like it's that, it's that thing where like, if run, baby, somebody, run. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it really was. It was like, it's that thing where if somebody's like, here, try this piece of food that you've never had before. And there's something about the combination of like the consistency and the taste that makes you spit it out immediately. Otherwise you're going to vomit. Like somebody else thinks that tastes great. But to me, it's like, I can't keep that in my body. And, <laughs> and then I was like, and then we fast forwarded to 2022 and I found her doing it. Exactly the same thing. Exactly the same over two decades later. And to paraphrase Taylor Swift, who you brought up, best believe she still be dual. Like, (laughs) I guess she just will be forever. By the way, when she put out an album in 2022, and this tells you everything about why it is that I just can't vibe with her. The the single as it was came out. And um, did you do you know there was a guest singer on it? And it was the same singer from the band that she was on tour with when she was doing this thing that I watched. Would you like to guess who the band is? I, I saw it, so I can't. Yes. <laughs> Todd, do you have I a could, guess? I couldn't, I couldn't begin. I have no idea where it's this is It's exactly, going. you'll hear it and you go, of course. Train. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know the that actually. The answer is train. I didn't know that actually. And if and here's the thing, for all the ways in which I'm saying that Jewel is clearly just not for me and that's okay and I'm glad that she... I will never extend that grace to train. That that day will just never come. <laughs> Truly, I think to train is is some of the most empty music of all time. Like, you know what? All offense to train. A bunch of hacks. I have no respect for them. Jewel, yes, train. I just can't. I'm sorry. I that know. hill, I just I can't I can't get there. Listening to to the 2022 version of the song, like she she gets to the the scatting right halfway through. And my wife just left. So she was just like, I can't fucking do this. We're still like, this is the most dad at a convention music I've ever heard in my life. Well, it made me think of uh, Todd when you were talking about um, Harry Styles being like the corny sting. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. It was like that. Yes. That was what it made me think of that. <laughs> what do you know? I beg of you, please. She did this thing, which bothers me and me alone. And I understand it's a me problem, but like she just changes the lyrics whenever she sings it live. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And like, I understand I'm neurodivergent and I like things to just be a certain way, but I was like, stop doing that. Like, come on. Like, because then she'll be like, sing along. It's like, how? How is that going to (laughs) happen? She just has big, like Jenna Maroney from 30 Rock Energy. You said you couldn't stand the baby voice. I, I like the baby voice. I can't the like the full throat yodel thing is the part I, I can't really deal with. Oh, see, and I don't, I'm okay with that. And and here's another, there are two things, boy, this is going to be a long episode. Oh, well, uh, uh, however it goes is how it goes. But um, I feel like Jewel, I would be so unhappy if she got auto-tuned and I don't have beef with auto-tune, <laughs> but I kind of like that pieces of you ain't got no auto tune on it. Right. When she yodels, she doesn't always stay perfectly in the pocket. 
And the fact that like she goes kind of in and out a little bit is what makes it sound real and makes it sound good to me. I actually it's a, think it's, it's a raw I think album. It's, definitely. To me, I think that serves her. I, I feel like we are we have gotten way off the plot here. Yep. Sorry. I think we need to break. We need to bring it in. I think it's time. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, we're going to do some questions. We do these questions in order to uh, firm things up. Make us feel more secure about what we're talking about. Have a clearer answer of like what works and what doesn't about each song. What we prefer, what we don't. Um, I have an extra question for this episode. Lord help us. It's already like an hour in, but I do have a song, a song question for this episode specifically. Um, but we'll start with the basics. Question number one um, is a question of uh, historical significance. One of these songs uh, is going to stick around and the other one is going to go away forever. Like it never existed at all for the culture Vita, which song has to stay. What makes you happy. <sighs> I think this one's uh, actually pretty close. It is. I, I agree that it's actually really tough. I, it's obviously the better song as far as I'm concerned, but like Cheryl Crow has many good songs. Jewel only has like a couple big singles. And I was like, I don't know. It feels like the Jewel song feels a little more integral to that whole period, that whole sphere of music. I don't know. I think I'm going to lean Jewel on this one. It's really hard to say. Like, the thing is, you say it's important, seminal to the to what was happening musically at the time in that Lilith area. But um, look, as long as Sarah McLaughlin's Angel exists. But that's not by, that. No, by the no. way, but hold up. Can we just have a quick conversation about that? This is very important. If you were to sit down and and say, what is the saddest song ever written? You were like, we're going to come up with a list of contenders. Saddest song I ever heard in my life. Like, it's so sad that like within two seconds of hearing that song start to play, I got to turn it off. Otherwise, I will be a puddle on the ground and my day is ruined. You, everybody would do the same thing. They would pick up the pen. They would write down Sarah McLaughlin, Angel, and then they would put the motherfucking pen down because there's literally nothing else. Even, other sad songs, sure. But anything that song that's as sad as that one? No, absolutely not. Nothing else has got the, if you if you don't right now, the dogs will die. Uh, yeah, like, that's, I mean, you have and to like, play and, and to be clear, that song had radio play before it became that. Yes. So even before it was the commercial for Please Don't Let These Dogs Die, it <laughs> always had the vibe of Please Don't Let These Dogs Die. So to me, I don't think that I can look and say, um, man, we, we lose the whole Lilith experience. I didn't say you without, lose the whole Lilith experience. No, no, that's, I feel like that's kind of what Ty was saying. I wasn't saying we'd lose the whole experience there are many other songs we Tori still exists Lana still exists and all that but it feels like more prominent it feels like this is an important part of it I don't know. if it like, makes you happy it can't be that bad if it makes you happy and why the hell are you so sad is perhaps in my top 10 best chorus lyrics of the 90s I think it definitely is so no I can't I mean like I get it I get what you're saying but like that chorus hits so fucking hard and you need it. The world needs that lyric. We lose something so essential. When the thing is that simple and that effective, you need it. I think I think that if we lose, if it makes you happy, we still have a million really good show pro songs. We still have the Globe Sessions, the whole thing. <laughs> but poor Jewel. 
won't you think of Jewel? And then we play Angel <laughs> in the background as Jewel's like, <laughs> sad, lovely eyes look at us. I just, screen, like, I just look. Won't you think of Jewel? But the I, one thing I refuse, I refuse to pity Jewel. I won't. I think that's the that's one thing Jewel does not want from me. Yeah. Um, nor does she. I, nor does she need it. She's been fighting she, the whole yeah, time. She's, and she's she's doing okay. I think she, I do think she'd be all right. I think the other two hits were so big. Um, I think you were meant for me. Like that's such a great song. Um, by the way, did y'all know that she wrote it with this other guy who then went on to do the male response to the little affair? There was like a man version of it. <laughs> I was like, I never want to know about this man. That's the that's the first and last piece of information I needed to know about that dude. Was it just like lip biscuit? Like I don't understand. <laughs> I I also like, you, you, like I don't. <laughs> I just I heard that that existed, and I said, "That's every other wh- tour." I don't understand. But why? Yeah. It's it's called the Fraser Fair. The the Fraser oh, like baby. Away, I hear the blues no, are calling. Girl, no. Girl, no. <laughs> uh, is that a joke or are you are you serious? No, that's real. No. Okay, no, it's a joke. You're you're. There's that's no way thing. that's real. Wait, no. listen to me. It's on songfacts.com. If you want to check it, I'm not going this to guy, Steve, Steve Poltz from the Rugburns uh, would go on to start the Fraser Fair in 1998, which was a male response to the Lilith Fair. You've got it. Okay, like even if that is real, like then he's joking. Like and he then, has to go. <laughs> that's right. Like he's, that's like a, a parody. That's funny. Like, ha, I get it. Fraser Fair. Cool. Ha. No, you're very I, clever. You're very clever, Steve. Like I, I reject this. I, I, I think, I think that he was being for real. I, I refuse to accept this as a joke. If it is a joke, I don't think it's funny. And I think <laughs> he played himself. Congratulations. You played yourself. I, I cannot believe I'm reading it. Uh, like, <laughs> Is it, is it, all right, all right check, check the math. Is it legit? Like, was he being serious? Now I do want to know. I think it says Rufus Wainwright came up with the name oh and my. was on the tour. Oh, that does begin to change things a bit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. I, so, I, I want to talk about this as little as possible. Okay. <laughs> all right. I want to know more, but I can check later. All right. Yeah. Um, the second question is a question of, of sort of like behind the scenes, like how much you want to know things. You could be a fly on the wall, um, start to finish. In this case, we'll include stuff like, I don't know, interviews, uh, music video, as we usually do. Um, but I know that both of them kind of went through a lot in the process of marketing these albums too. So you can sort of witness all that stuff for one and only one of these two slong- songs slash albums, which is the one that you really want to see how the the sausage got made. Hmm. For me, ultimately, it's still going to be Sheryl Crow, but mostly because there are some songs on that Jewel album that I'm like, mm. We don't, we couldn't possibly play that <laughs> anymore. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I don't think you could uh, play that at the time, honestly. That too. If we're talking about the one with the, with all the slurs in it. Yes. Yeah, so are we talking about, if we're talking about the title track? Yes. I don't, so the thing is that like, go back and be a fly on the wall suggests that you would just bear witness, right? Right. That you're like, you're like, like the ghost of Christmas past took you back there and you could watch it, but it's like a rerun. You can't actually do anything about it. I would want to go back in time and be like, Jewel, no. Jewel, stop. Like, <laughs> I would break the rules of whatever this time travel convention is and be like, <laughs> you cannot sing this song about the Jew's funny hat. You can't do that. Yeah. That's- that, ca- that, that cannot happen if you're wondering what this is. You feel free to look at it. I tweeted some of these lyrics and I was like, this is, she got... Like people like pushed back on it too. And she was like, people don't understand that. Like, but I'm calling that bad. And I'm like, no, 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 Jewel, they got it. 
It's just <laughs> the way you did it. You know, the way you did it. <laughs> you, you don't funny need to hat. say it in order to call it bad. It doesn't work. Call, like calling a, a yarmulke a funny hat is pretty. Yeah, it's like I got it. It's it's, it's it's one of those things where it's well intentioned and like I think a person could pull it off with like a stronger sense of like irony. I don't but, really think so. Uh, I don't. I don't I, think I, that's like, ever gonna fly. This, is, this 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 happens. This falls into the like Amanda Palmer like like vortex. Where you're just like no, no one can do this. Don't okay. Don't do like if Amanda Palmer did it, you she would at the very least have a stronger understanding of what yeah, she was whole doing song and why. About the N-word. No way. Like, that's like, no. Like, at the very <laughs> least, I feel like Amanda Palmer knows that she's pushing buttons in a way that Jewel does not realize she's doing. I I, like, I, she, I think that, I think Jewel comes up by it more honestly if we're going to, I mean, be real about fair. it. That's fair. That's perfectly fair. <laughs> That is well, we, perfectly we did, little fair. Because again, she was much group. younger and and yeah. I did this. I did this myself. <laughs> but but the thing no. is that I think the the point that you make about the difference between Amanda Palmer and Jewel is is well taken. Just because you know Amanda Palmer did an album where like it's about how she faked her death to fuck with somebody. That's the thing that happened. And that meanwhile, like like that was intentional. That was the goal. That was the end game. But on Pieces of You, you get a track like Adrian, which is right. about like, I think like somebody who like is in an accident and then has like permanent brain damage. And it's a well-intentioned song, but I found like an interview from like way back from like when that album first got big and they were interviewing her at Divot Publications. And she talked about how somebody came up to her and was like, this song meant so much to me. And they were like, oh, like, were you that girl? Like who was, who was Adrian and like all this stuff. And then all of a sudden she was like, Oh, I just made it up. And that person mm. got so mad, so angry. And I was like, I've kind of, I kind of, that's a little legit. I think I would be kind of annoyed about that too. If that had meant so much to me and it was a complete fabrication, I would go, what well, was any of it real? <laughs> was it, is anything real? Um, but she, but she's completely well-intentioned. It's just that that's the kind of thing that like might rub you wrong. But she didn't set out to rub you wrong. She wasn't trying to make you angry. No, she was trying to. Whereas Amanda Palmer does that very intentionally. Yeah. Well, anyway, where where were we on this? Uh, uh, which which you still are on? You thought Cheryl Crow you still wanted to be around for? And I, I, Jewel, I I part partly I am curious is because you get everything. You also get to watch like. I mean, do I want to watch her go through all that bullshit? I, I mean, she rose above. Like, this is the thing I will always say about Jewel, right? Like, I had a little bit of uh, frustration in my life, and I basically disappeared from the world for the last three years. Like, Jewel endured a lot more than I ever have or ever will, and Jewel just kept right on going. So it's interesting to to see what it would have been like for her to have been so young and to have gone through that stuff isolated and see how she was able to overcome and do all that stuff. Like, I do find that truly impressive. That's not easy. I'm too old now. I would see, I, that's what I, where I would break the rules and be like, no, we're not, that's not happening. We're not doing this. No, 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 no. <laughs> we're not going to let that happen. <laughs> that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I don't know. It's really, yeah, it is that she was so young at the time that I think is having like a really big impact on the way I'm viewing this. Whereas like, to me, there's something far more adult and mature about Cheryl Crow by the time you get to her second album. Um, interesting. I would like to watch it, but I keep, I keep coming back to like, man, like Jewel, I just want to like, I just want to know 
I want to be able to back up things that you said and be like, yep, that I was there. I literally, that shit happened. Like, let's go get that guy. Like this is like the, 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 the manager at the, at the restaurant. Like I wouldn't try to change time. I would. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change her timeline, but I would absolutely break that man's legs. Like, could I do that? Is that allowed? Um, I don't know. In a, in a more serious answer. Like I, I think it would be interesting to see all that stuff for the jewel album, but I, I think for me personally, that Cheryl Crow album meant so much to me as a young person that as an older person, I'd love to be able to connect with it in in that kind of way and really like do a deep dive to kind of see maybe why it resonated with an 11 year old. Good question. I don't know. Jewel has the more interesting story. I Cheryl, think Crow's, right. Cheryl Crow's story about writing the song is that she and this other guy wrote the song and they recorded it. And it came <laughs> out really well. Yeah, I, I I think that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, like, if I could go back, if it was the first album, it would be different, right? Because then you could sort of, like, see, see the Tuesday Night Music Club. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Like, that's more, that's interesting. Anyway, okay. Question number three, I feel we can answer pretty pretty quickly. Megan Thee Stallion. She's going to get up to a, a night of hot girl shit. Before she does, she's got to get ready. You know what I mean? Do her thing. She's going to put on a playlist to prepare her for the night of hot girl shit. One of these songs, and only one, can be... On this playlist, Vita, which one of these songs, Now and Forever, is hot girl shit? It makes you happy. Can't be that bad. That's I agree. I don't even think there's a debate song. here. Oh, I don't know. Like it, like Cheryl's song rocks a lot harder, but it's also a lot sadder. That's true. Uh, but I, it's a good game pregame song. Like you, you, you're drinking to that song. Maybe because you're sad. Maybe because you're enjoying the guitar. <laughs> I don't know. To me, this is a no-brainer. hundred percent. Have y'all made a, a playlist of all of the hot girl shit tracks? Because that's somebody feel like did. You, oh, Somebody's done so it. Somebody to, has done it. Need to find um, that. somebody that the, the songs that are now hot girl shit because of us, because of our <laughs> yes. our troublemaking. Yeah. All right. Listen, I'm going to introduce a different song, a different question. All right. This question is kind of like to make up for the fact that the Megan Thee Stallion one doesn't quite work for this one. Um, all right. It's the '90s. You are in a coffee shop. Called, right. cool, called Cool Beans because all coffee shops in the 90s were called Cool Beans. Cool. It is open mic night because at Cool Beans, it is always open mic night whenever you go for some reason. Someone gets up with their acoustic guitar. They're going to play one of these two songs and only one, which is the fucking coffee shop song that you want to hear. Keeping in mind that this person is going to have a basic level of competency. Oh, definitely the jewel. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know that I'd want to hear a coffee shop version of that Cheryl song. I feel like this needs a full band. I've heard Cheryl Crow do an acoustic version of this and it rips. Yes, but oh, only really? Cheryl Crow. <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I would I would take Cheryl Crow in it. Mostly you said a basic because... competency. <laughs> do I want right. to see an amateur coffee shop version of that song? Well, I no, but that... it's like... When I say competency, I mean like they're good, right? Like okay. they're not. I don't know that they're gonna like, you know. Maybe maybe they'd make it through round one of American Idol. I'm, you know, but I'm not saying like they're gonna become famous, right? Like they're good enough that you you would go and be like, okay, I would actually listen to this person play, right? Like when I say base incompetency, I don't just mean they don't suck ass. I mean like they're competent at what they do, right? Right. If they can hit the chorus with the the requisite amount of power, then yes, I can buy it. Like if they can do that, then sure go with that one. 
if not go with the jewel one which is like got to be like a coffee house staple all but like like pretty instantly by 96 it feels very forgiving (laughs) somebody told me that they really liked jewel because jewel was an alto and so her songs are easier to sing i mean that's certainly why i like that's a i think that's a pretty good i was at i do you know i do ask around i do steal other people's ideas um occasionally i will see what other people think and that was a thing that had not occurred to me modified version but, of this question if you had to sing one of these songs oh at a coffee shop that's same brutal but it would give point. you but but the guitar would give you the ability to hit either song which one would you want to do if um, i can if i can hit if it makes you happy, if I can, if I can hit that, that's the one I'm doing. Yeah, same. No, no, no doubt. The reason why is because, you know, when you start playing Who Will Save Your Soul, if you're just, if it's just the guitar, if you don't get that, like, oh, yeah, that song's gonna, all bass. You're not going to know what's on that. By the way, Cheryl Crow, great bassist. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like without that, you wouldn't know right away. By the way, they use like the same chords. It's all the same chords for both those songs in a different order, but like a G, a C, an A minor, and a D, those are like the primary chords for both songs. But when you listen to If It Makes You Happy, you know what song you're hearing within (laughs) two seconds. You know that song immediately. It doesn't need to have a special instrument, a special sound. Like you hit that G chord and then you add that like Seuss four or whatever it is, right? Or that add, I don't know which one it is. Add, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, you know immediately what song that is. You don't need to hear Cheryl Crow singing. You know that song. So for me, that's it's easily that one slam dunk because you know people are going to get excited and sing along with you. So if your voice falters, don't worry. Like everybody in the audience is going to sing and catch you. So, all right. Last question. Most important question. Not just to the podcast, but in all of human creation. William Shatner, uh, man about town, actor, musician? I'm going to say yes. I think so. Uh, He's going to do a Shatner version of one and only one of these two songs. Todd, which one of these songs must be shat upon? Uh, There are a lot of words in both these songs, and they would certainly be delightful for an actor to try and perform. But there is a... a level of teenage smugness to the Jewel song that would be just impossibly insufferable coming out of Shatner's voice. Yes. What if he did the baby yes. voice? <laughs> <laughs> well, then it would seem like he was making fun of Jewel, and I don't want William Shatner making fun of Jewel. That's right out. That's fair. That's 100%. Shatner has got no business making fun of Jewel. None. Meanwhile, there's a, there's a, there's a warmth to Cheryl's song that with Shatner's voice, I feel would be very comforting, quite honestly. I'd love to hear him hit that Geronimo's rifle and <laughs> shampoo and Benny Goodman's horse. <laughs> oh, I agree. serve you breakfast in bed. Scrape the mold off the bread. Okay. You listen to Coltrane, derail your own train. <laughs> it, it would work. I think it would work, yes. All right. We agree. We agree about this one. Um, well, we're a buck 15 into this podcast. Good guys. Time to hear some reader comments, listener comments, comments. All right. Steve Bach writes, The trouble with hearing Who Will Save Your Soul for the first time in this day and age is the inescapable feeling that Jewel sounds like Jordan Peterson when she sings the titular refrain. I, I'm not sure I agree. Jordan Peterson has a weird voice. I'm not, I'm not sure I disagree. I have, so like, here's a thing that I have thought, and I have no foundation for whether or not this is true, but... 
It's interesting to me that when you look back on when um, Who Will Save Your Soul came out and there's this element of being in a bathroom and the reason why it was in a bathroom is because, and this is, I believe, a direct quote, Jewel considered bathrooms to be a sacred space. That was a thing that at the time you were like, sure. But in 2022, that's like a red flag. You're like, <laughs> oh, oh boy, what do you mean by that? And it doesn't help that the guy that directed the music video, a drag person, queens. well, like, well, there's one. And yes, mm-hmm. they refer to that person as a drag queen. And I was like, that's a drag queen? That just looks like a trans woman to me because like she's not wearing like an outlandish outfit she's just wearing clothes just um, washing her hands yeah like i was like this is that's like it's like such a weird thing and like it's just showing people like staring at her and being weird and i was like i don't that has that at the time felt i don't think i felt anything particular about it Uh, now again it's that same thing where like i'm putting 2022 anxieties on a on a mid nineties music video, but like, man, if that doesn't now bug me, I'm like, what is all this stuff? What does it mean? Probably nothing. All right, Ned Curran writes. Apparently, if it makes you happy, would make me cry uncontrollably when I was a baby. I feel like the way she hits that chorus, it's like an invitation to cry along with her, right? Yeah, I guess it's intense. It's an intense song. Yes, I, I can definitely see like an infant just like chilling out and she's singing and she hits it. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, time. Yeah, it does kind of come out very because it's a fast transition from the one to the other. Whereas obviously babies probably love Jewel. Yeah, I can see that. She's just she's just talking to them. <laughs> I There was like uh, like a, a thing of lullabies or like kids songs. They were all performed in the style of like the hot musicians of the time that I found like on the MP3 era back in the day. And there was one of like Jewel in this, like in the style of Jewel doing this song, performing patty cake, patty cake, baker's <laughs> man. And it was like fit perfectly. It was like dead on. That's incredible. Uh, yes. I wish that I could remember out. the name of that, what that name of that album was, but like their style parodies were dead on. Anyway, Kylie Wilson writes, easy choice here. If it makes you happy, gets across the feeling of having a job that you once enjoyed becoming a chore. Whereas who will save your soul has serious dumb teenager on TikTok who's just learned about Nepo babies energy. Roasted. Yeah. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) All right. Nathan Spradlin writes, two artists whose infamy is being a part of Woodstock 99. That's true. Yeah. But the thing is that Cheryl Crow was also at Woodstock '94. Boy, two two very different concerts. Yes. <laughs> All right. Jacob Aelson writes: If it makes you happy, makes me ask the question: What is Cheryl Crow talking about? But who will save your soul? Makes me ask: What does Jewel think she's talking about? Like I at least trust Cheryl Crow to know what she's saying, even if I don't. Oh, we didn't talk about the one thing. Do you have a Do you have a thought? Do you want to say what you think about? Kurt Loder apologizing for um, pointing out that she didn't know the, know the meaning of a word when her book of poetry came out. Cause she, he has a apo- He apologized like in April of last year. Wow. It's been a while. Yep. Yeah. But he did. He in fact did. And I have really complicated feelings about that entire thing. I don't remember that. Um, I don't, he can feel bad if he wants to. It was kind of a dick move, but he was correct. That's not what that word means. And that, 
I don't I don't know what to to say about that. What was this? What word? Oh, Casual, she thought casualty. She thought casualty meant casualness. Yes. And she released a whole song like that. That's a no. It's not. This, this is from the poem. This is no. It's poetry, no. It's, it? no. It's from the song. I, I believe. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Off her second album. All right. I thought that this was like from the because what I know is that like she had gone out and they talked about her book of poetry, yeah. which went on to be like the best selling book of poetry. And it's one <laughs> of those things, isn't it? Where it's like, yeah, I don't disagree that it was a dick move, and I don't disagree that he was technically correct. It's a thing that he could have just written about someplace. <laughs> and chose to do it in the time and the place that he did. But also it is like, it's interesting to like what, who has what access to talk about what, where, why, and how Kurt Loder had some reach. Um, so he could have done it any old time, which makes it kind of interesting that he did it in the way that he did like to her face, which is a wild fucking thing to do. And I think um, she pointed out that, you know, she would go around and when she would do interviews, like people would just say these salacious sexual things to her um certainly it exists in the same space as like you know how like used to be like rolling stone and other places would do interviews where they would hang out with the artist for like a week before they would yeah. write the piece yeah. right. and they don't really do they don't really do that anymore but like she did this with some guy and like she felt that they had gotten close so she let him crash in her guest room and when he wrote the article about the experience he basically implied that they'd had sex a thing that had not happened oh, gross. oh wow and it really fucked her up. And I think, you know, the thing about Kurt Loder, which I mean, maybe he knew and maybe he didn't, but like he was occupying the same space as that. But the complexity just comes from the fact that like that interview got her a lot of, I mean, I bet you a lot of people hate bought that book, huh? Like the poetry, <laughs> like I, or just bought it in general in defiance of what he did. She got so much attention off of that. Like it was negative and positive attention. So it's sort of kind of complex in my mind. Like, what was the actual, like, in the long arm of history, what was the actual impact? Was it truly negative or was there enough positive that ultimately it was helpful in some way? All right. Uh, let's got a couple more here. Uh, Sir Mary X on Twitter wrote, who will save your soul makes me want to be a worse person just despite Jewel. It's such a condescending song. It is a little condescending. This is another yes. thing I don't love about it. I it feels exactly like what a teenager would write. Like yes. you really just, that's who you are at that age. Like <laughs> I agree that it feels very condescending. But I just look at it and I'm like, you know, you've been through a lot, but like you're still judging people through those. Right. Things. All right. Crash Thompson writes like, see both of these songs are about the satisfaction and Cheryl hits the nail on the head with the chorus. Whereas jewel on the other hand can barely even approach a point the song just kind of meanders around a lot of stuff that is like maybe frustrating, perhaps somehow spiritual. Jewel is the girl who will say, hey, um, maybe perhaps about her feelings. And Cheryl's the one who will actually get in your face and actually say the fuck is wrong with you, dude. So this one's an obvious pick for me. I, I think that's right. Again, economy of words. Yeah, <laughs> which I, I read the longest comment I had for that one. But <laughs> all right. And finally, Richard Richard Angle writes. And I can't, I can't remember how the song goes, so I can't perform the thing. But it says, you say she's Jewel. Does that, <laughs> does that mean she's a hack? Oh, oh Jewel, oh. do you hate her? Because she's pieces of you. I wish that that, that is a song that had stayed in the drafts. That I cannot lie. Um, I mean, like, and 
it's not quick either. She twists the knife every single time. She like draws that out. It, again, yeah, they'll, they'll never make fun of his tiny hat, his silly hat anymore. His funny hat. His funny hat. Good grief. It's just. <laughs> oh, oh you like, like that's a, that's when you squirm through listening. Like, <laughs> well, that's, that's all yeah. my. <laughs> That's all my comments. So all that is left is the vote count. Who do you think won? How much? Joe Crow. A lot. Yeah. A lot. A lot. A lot. Over sixty percent for sure. Over sixty. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's it's probably somewhere in the the ballpark of a seventy five to twenty five split. Okay. For a total of five sixty four to two twenty, that's actually a seventy eight to twenty two split. The Cheryl Crow is the one that makes us happy, apparently. <laughs> Like this wasn't a shock. Like the, the they were the two songs that were the closest in like subject matter, but like there was this was not a competition. I'd never expected it to be. When I yes, when you announced it, I actually thought that it was going to be our first hundred to zero. <laughs> <laughs> you you'll be surprised. There were a lot of people who were coming in there. It was like I I kind of like Jewel and I cannot stand Cheryl Crow. And I'm like really, really listen. That's not it. Listen to the Globe Sessions. I'm going to tell you right now. You ready? Am I getting through parts one and two, anything but down and the difficult kind? Just listen to those three songs in a row. Let them wash over you. They're like, might be the best three songs in a row in the history of a Cheryl Crow album. Really fucking good. All right. We have started off the year on a good note, I'd say. A long note, certainly. (laughs) I think we're back. Sorry. We are back in the groove. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you, if you like what we do, we you can uh, subscribe to our Patreon, and you get all our bonus episodes where we review one, usually a movie every month. This month we got to get around to it. We are doing Labyrinth, which should uh, that'll be interesting, I guess. And if you can't do that, just just spread the word. Just listen to our uh, listen to our podcast and tell other people to listen to our podcast. Give us a nice well, review. Give us five stars, five star review, please, please. We love it. We love it. Tell everyone about us. Thank you so much. Well, you ready? Ready for the next episode? Yes. Uh, Well, we are going to be doing Whip It by Devo versus Cars by Gary Newman. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Hell yeah. Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Vita, for coming in. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, oh, always. And anytime we have more uh, uh, 90s rock chicks, we'll definitely. <laughs> Apparently. Subject matter expert. It's like. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.